when I turned 18, I did like a lot of young men. I went to the post office and filled out my my selective service card and left it. And Uncle Sam hasn't needed me all this time. And so um, uh, it, it just gives me a way to get back. I've got an uncle that, that was a, a tailhook pilot uh, in uh, World War II in, in Korea. He was a Navy tailhook pilot. And he's buried there along with my dad's sister. And so I have a little bit of a connection, but, um, you know, it just it's just something that I can do. Well, hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler, a pleasure, friend, to have you stop by. Today we have none other than Kenny Crenshaw, Let Me Kill Your Weeds, from Herbie Systems. Kenny, it's always good to see you, my friend. Looking forward to uh, just kind of catching up with you. You haven't been in the studio for a while, but it's so good to, to see you. How are you been doing? I mean, okay, yeah, fine. Herbie Systems, I guess, is uh, killing weeds and making homeowners all across the Mid-South happy? Trying to, yeah. You guys have been doing this for a long time. You are the largest locally owned lawn care company in the greater Memphis area. You have won the National Federation of Independent Business for Tennessee. They named you in 2009 Small Business Champion for Tennessee, Bartlett Area. Chamber of Commerce honored you as the Entrepreneur of the Year back in 2012. You started repairing lawnmowers when you were 12 years old. Yeah, when I was young, I uh, just started fixing lawnmowers, bicycles, and then motorcycles, and then cars. Was your dad mechanical? Did you no, kind of learn? No, my dad's a veterinarian. Really? And yeah, you know, uh, kids that are mechanical, they're going to take everything apart, see how it works. You know, put it, you know, mechanics are born, they're not made. My middle son, Jason, it was that way. You gave him something. He had to take it apart and figure out how yeah, it worked yeah. and you know put it back together. And, and he's still today. He's in a technical kind of job, but he, he still does that same kind of thing. And he's been quite successful doing that. But tell me some of your backstory about where you were born, what family life was like growing up for you. Was Christ the focus of your home when you were growing up? Uh, my family's been here since 1815. They came over here with Andy Jackson. And been here ever since. I was actually born in Illinois because my dad had just gotten out of vet school and was working for the USDA testing cattle for brucellosis. And so him and my mom and my sister, and pregnant mom, you know, went up to Illinois, and I was born up there in April. And then after he finished that uh, gig, we came back home, and he opened his own practice in Millington. So was there ever a desire that you wanted to uh, be a pet doctor? No. People would ask me, say, How, are you going to be a vet like your daddy? And I said, no. And they said, why not? Because I, I hear the phone ring at 2 a.m., and I hear him put on his pants, put on his boots, start the car, and go away and not come home the next night till 9 o'clock. Oh, my goodness. I, I didn't realize that. I, you know, when you think about a veterinarian, you think they have kind of like banker's hours. I, I was would think, Some do today. Some, know, uh, yeah. they, uh, there's an emergency clinic here in Memphis that uh, some vets use, and my dad never did want to use it. They, yeah. He wanted to get up in the middle of the night. Tell me about your love for American history. When did that begin? I don't know. Uh, my dad uh, was kind of a history buff and uh, kind of a little bit of a Renaissance guy. I just got interested. In, I, there wasn't any really teacher or anybody like that. Uh, I just have always been interested in history. Do you remember the first time you visited Washington, D.C.? As a child, did you take a family trip to D.C.? You know, I guess the first time we went, uh, our trade association had a day every year that we went up and, and lobbied, you know, uh, basically begged the government not to hurt us anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so... Uh, I guess the first time uh, my son, who's about to turn 30, had just turned, uh, he was two months old. 
and so we went up there. This is way before nine eleven, when there was no security, and it was a lot better back then. And and uh, we were able just to go, you know, pretty much anywhere we wanted to go. What person in American history has inspired you most? George Mason. Why? He would not sign the uh, the Constitution because it did not have a Bill of Rights. He was very principled, and he believed that the Constitution have a Bill of Rights, and he would not sign it. Uh, pretty dogmatic there. Yeah, well, they promised a Bill of Rights. And, you know, the, the this group of men uh, that came out of Virginia and Massachusetts and these other places, uh, they were entirely different than what we see in Washington today. Virginia had a Bill of Rights. Uh, other states had a Bill of Rights, and rightly so, uh, the anti-federalists who were, ended up being correct, they knew that the federal government would get, get out of control. They knew it would spend too much. They knew it would run wars all over the world, and it has and it does. And so George Mason knew that the federal government was going to abuse the people, and he would not sign the Constitution until there was a Bill of Rights in it. And they promised a Bill of Rights, and since these were honorable men, they produced the Bill of Rights as the first through the Tenth Amendments. Kenny, there's this big annual project that's been going on now for about 26 years that the National Association of Landscape Professionals, it's an organization that represents nearly over 100,000 uh, landscape industry professionals here in the United States, Canada, and also overseas. And this is an organization that your company, Herbie Systems, is also a part of. Yes, a very good organization. It's uh, It started out, I don't know, five or six separate organizations, irrigation people, landscape people, lawn care people, and, and uh, tree people. And it's uh, in order to have a bigger impact on the industry and on, on uh, legislation, we've kind of rolled these into one. Yeah. Well, this event, it's entitled Renewal and Remembrance. Uh, and I think for 18 of the 26 years, you have participated I think sometimes you've even taken some of your employees or other staff have, have traveled with you. A couple of projects, the Arlington National Cemetery, and one, too, at the Lincoln Memorial on the National Mall. I think that's relatively new over the past couple of years, I believe. But this is a pretty big thing. Like I said, 18 years of the 26, you go up, I guess, around July is the time when that takes place. And this year was special because you gave the dedication of work speech at Arlington National Cemetery during the opening ceremonies. So what did you say? What do you say at an event like that? Well, the the gentleman that started this years ago, his name is Phil Fogarty. He asked me to to give the speech, and I'm like, I don't know, Phil. And and he kept talking. He's very persuasive. And I said, well, Phil, if I do it, I want to tell a story. So I told the story. Um, Interestingly, to your local listeners, the chaplain there, I spoke to him after the speech, and I said, you know, I used to go to Sunday school with a guy named Kerry Cash. He said, that would be Admiral Kerry Cash. You know Kerry? Roy, Roy Cash's son and Kelly Cash's brother. That's what I was wondering. This is connection to the Cash mm-hmm. family, which is Johnny Cash's family. That's right, but Miss America Kelly Cash. Yes, Miss America Kelly Cash. She actually worked at this radio station uh, when she was in college. Well, she was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, if all the Miss Americas are as nice as Kelly Cash, <laughs> then America's well represented. Her daughter Tatum was Miss uh, Virginia, right. competed in the Miss America pageant recently. So yeah, Kelly, uh, is, and she's got a good work up in the Jackson community. So anyway, so this Admiral's like, oh, that would be Admiral Cash. He's about to get his second star. Uh, and also in the audience, I didn't know this till afterwards because they couldn't tell us. the. And I forget what the guy's title is, but he was over the 
He's over every enlisted person in the Navy. My. But they couldn't say he was there because it, because of security right, reasons. Right. But so you got a chance to meet him? No, no, no. He slipped away quietly. Okay. But anyway, yet uh, every year we have someone who's in the industry give the dedication of work you know, speech. I remember on a tour group with a youth one time, we were doing some uh, vacation Bible schools in the D.C. area, and we had some time to tour the monuments in D.C., which if you've never done, going to Arlington – was one of the most uh, memorable times, especially when you go, obviously, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier is so powerful. But I was doing a little research for our time together today just to learn more about Arlington. I found it interesting uh, that Arlington Estate was established originally by George Washington, adopted grandson George Washington Park Custis to be a living memorial to the first president. Now, Custis' daughter Mary married U.S. Army First Lieutenant Robert E. Lee in 1831, and when he died, Custis left the estate to his daughter Mary Custis Lee for the duration of her life, and upon her death, her eldest son would inherit the property. Robert E. Lee served as the executor of his father-in-law's will, but he never owned the property. There's some rich history here on that property. I did that's, not realize that's it. correct. And Robert E. Lee never held a slave. His wife did. Yeah, that was quite interesting, too. Yeah. After Lee abandoned the property at the start of the Civil War, the U.S. Army seized Arlington Estate on the morning of May 24th, 1861, to defend Washington, D.C., from the property's heights. I mean, that was a a great military strategy location. Uh, there was several forts that were built there, right, on this property. Have you been there? It, I have been there. Okay, yeah. Yes. If, if you've been there, you, it overlooks all of D.C., and, and, of course, the Federals had to seize it. They had no choice but to seize it, and they should have seized it. Uh, but then they should have paid the Lee family for it, and they didn't. Yeah. And the Lee family took them to court for decades. And finally, uh, a court ruled in their favor, and the federal government paid them for what they had stolen from the Lee family. Really? I did not realize that part of Our it. Our federal government's been stealing for a long time, Brian. <laughs> okay. Well, on May thirteenth, 1864, the first military burial was conducted for Private William Chrisman, Brigadier General Montgomery Meigs, Quartermaster General for the U.S. Army. He was responsible for the burial of soldiers, ordered Arlington Estate to be used for a cemetery. So that was the beginning. Well, they actually did it to desecrate Miss Lee's Rose Garden. I mean, it was out of spite. Okay. They they hated Lee because he didn't come with the, with the Union. He went with the Confederacy. And so these uh, – so remember, the, the interesting thing about the Civil War is these guys went to school together. They went to West Point together. They graduated together. They did everything together. And then all of a sudden, the the country is split. These people were intimate friends with one another, and they saw Lee as being treasonous against the government. And so they buried people in her garden out of spite. Oh, really? Yeah, it, it, it was not pleasant. Well, you're telling me some things I wasn't aware of. It wasn't posted in my research that I did. It was a quick research, too. Well, quick. research gets purged after a yeah. while. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, the, the history gets purged after a while. Well, the property became part of the National Cemetery, I guess officially became part of the National Cemetery on June fifteenth, 1864, is my understanding. Well, Arlington is run by the Army. It's not a part of the VA. Every other cemetery is part of the VA, not Arlington. It's run by the Army, and they let you know it's run by the Army. Yeah. And uh, as far as I know, there's only two cemeteries run by the Army. And that's uh, Arlington, and then there's Congressional Cemetery, this also in D.C. 
Well, the original cemetery was 200 acres. It since has grown to 639 acres. That's as early as 2020. So it's expanded over the years. Yeah, and it's about to expand again. Uh, Fort Meyer is right next door, and that's where the uh, the old guard is. That the, the you have the carriages, the caissons, the the guard guardians of the tomb of the unknown. They're at Fort Meyer right next door, and that's yeah. been an active fort. But but you know, it's very very urban there. And uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have an army fort in the middle of subdivisions. Yeah. And so uh, eventually Fort Meyer will be uh, relocated, and that will be taken over. But already I, I talked to the superintendent uh, while I was there, and he said that – I forgot what year he said it was. He said even taking in Fort Meyer, Arlington will be full in a very short time. Yeah, it's amazing. I have a few friends that, that have been buried there served our country with distinction and laid their lives down for our freedoms that yeah, well, we share like well, so many there well arlington if i could just say this arlington's like a lot of things in history uh it, it's not as pretty it's not as clean as we would like for it to be uh but like a lot of holidays that christians uh adopted co-opted stole uh arlington started out uh, on on the wrong foot but over time, uh, Americans have come to forget that part of it and accept uh, Arlington for what it is. It's a, it's a tribute and a monument to people that serve. Mid-South Viewpoint will be right back. Herbie System really does an outstanding job. Herbie Systems, they've taken service to a new level. Weeds in your yard don't have a chance with Herbie Systems. If you've got weeds, let Herbie Systems come and they'll be gone. Call for the satisfaction of no weeds and the best customer service with Herbie Systems. They are really accommodating. Herbie Systems, they call me after they've been out there to make sure I don't have any problems. When to spray. I can't keep up with that. They do it. Call for a free quote, 901-382-5296. Sure, let Herbie Systems kill your weeds. Weeds in your yard don't have a chance with Herbie Systems. The uh, employees of Herbie Systems are extremely courteous, friendly. You just feel very comfortable dealing with them. Ours is the only nice green lawn on the street. (laughs) Creating beautiful lawns for over 30 years. Call 901-382-5296. 382-5296. Let me kill your weeds. Kenny, I mentioned uh, a moment ago that the landscaping work and the beautiful shrubs and the flowers that were planted at Lincoln Memorial area on the mall is kind of a new project, maybe in the last couple of years. It is. When COVID hit, uh, Arlington Cemetery and the Army weren't really excited about having a lot of people there. And and the the protocol was changing hourly. And so it it became too difficult for us to plan. So meanwhile, John Deere – uh, had a relationship with the National Mall, and I didn't know this until last year. The mall is different than the National Mall. The mall, so when you hear people talk about the mall, the mall is from the Washington Monument back to the Capitol. The National Mall is from the Washington Monument to the Lincoln Memorial, but it also includes the uh, the Korean Memorial, the Vietnam Memorial, the uh, uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt Memorial, and the Martin Luther King Memorial. Those are all part of the National Mall. And it's run by a nonprofit. And so uh, things were a lot easier to deal with during COVID with them. And so 
John Deere uh, got us hooked up with the National Mall, and we did a service project. We mulched uh, a cherry grove that's near the Washington Monument. And then this year, we had about 300 volunteers that mulched the Lincoln Memorial in about an hour. Really? Oh, my goodness. So so there's a lot of potential there for for our group uh, to expand. Arlington held our numbers, understandably, held our numbers to about 400. But we've got five, six, seven hundred people that want to be there. Yeah, yeah. It's, they do have to cut it off. I, I realize I saw that online on the website. So, eighteen years you've been doing this. What does it do for you personally to go each year? Uh, I really feel like it's something I can do to give back. You know, I, I never was in the service. Uh, when I turned eighteen, I did like a lot of young men. I went to the post office and filled out my my selective service card and left it. And Uncle Sam hasn't needed me all this time. And so um, uh, it it just gives me a way to get back. I've got an uncle that, that was a, a tailhook pilot uh, in uh, World War II in, in Korea. He was a Navy tailhook pilot, and he's buried there along with my dad's sister. And so I have a little bit of a connection, but, um, you know, it just it's just something that I can do. Yeah, that's wonderful. Kenny, there's the story of a very historic event that took place in, in our history of war in World War II, the Bataan Death March. A prisoner of war, and there was many, but there was one who endured starvation and a 63-mile death march to a confinement camp. His family member you found looking for his father's grave? Right. This is a story I told, and when Phil asked me to, to give the dedication speech, uh, this is a story I had to tell. My friend Don Zerby and I, he's a, a lawn care operator in Cleveland, and he and I have worked together for years. And uh, it, at the end of the event every year, we ride around the, the cemetery and we look for any piece of paper, anything. And uh, we, we make sure that even if we didn't leave it, we pick it up. And so we patrol every every street in the, in the cemetery. And, and we were there just kind of you know making sure that we had covered everything. We saw a guy pull up in a car. Because if you have a loved one buried there, they'll give you a, a permit to drive your car onto the property. And so this guy pulls up, and it's July, it's hot, and he's distressed. And I said, Don, I said, we better hang tight a minute. I said, this, this something's going on here. I said, this guy's fixing to kill himself or something. I don't know what it was. It just, I, I was concerned. And so he was wandering around, wandering around, and um, uh, just looked horribly distressed. And then finally, uh, whatever it was that he was looking for, he had a sheet of paper in his hand. And whatever it was he was looking for, he comes over to us and says, you know, I'm looking for my father's grave. Can you help me? You know, so uh, he said, I've got this piece of paper. And on the piece of paper, the people down front had marked where they thought the grave was. And in this particular section kind of meanders. It's on the hillside. It's not the older sections are not regular. You would think that the Army would make everything regular and straight, and they did the best they could. But, you know, this uh, cemetery just kind of evolved over the decades and over the centuries. And so this particular section was hard to find. And so we took the grave, and we found the number, and Don and I looked, and and everything is in order, this rank and file. And finally we found the grave. So I looked at the front of it, and I I called the guy's name out. I don't recall it today, but I called the guy's name out. I said, is this your father? And he said, yes. And so I looked at the grave marker, and then I noticed on it, it had said, Batan Death March Survivor. So we left the gentleman there, and then Don and I kind of sat back a little bit and, you know, just waited. Uh, and eventually he 
finishes and he comes up there and I said, man, and he thanked us for helping him find the grave and and I said, uh, I said, I can you tell me about your father? Uh, you know, and he said yes. He said uh, when I was a child, my brother, I think it's his brother, he said uh, our father came back from the war, just really devastated. You know, just in some way. Uh, I guess I want to use the word messed up, but I'm trying to find the right word. But he was yeah. he was destroyed by his experience. Traumatized. Traumatized. That's yes. what I'm looking for. Yeah. And so uh, the man was traumatized and came home and began to drink and eventually left his family to never be seen again. Eventually, after he died, the son, who is now in his 60s, had found out about his father and wanted to come see his grave because he was buried at Arlington. So he, the, we were there the day he came. Wow. And so he came there that day, and we were there to help him find the grave. And I asked him afterwards, I said, uh, I said, I noticed that he was a Bataan Death March survivor. And the gentleman said, what is that? And so I had to explain about the Bataan Death March or the, the Japanese March. Something like, I don't know, 5,000, uh, or forget what the number is. It, it, was, it was thousands of Americans and thousands of, of Philippines. And they marched him in the blazing sun. They were already wounded, sick, whatever. And many of them died, and they were bayoneted, shot. And on the European front, a lot of the times it was snow. They did those same marches in Europe. Some, it was snow on the ground in Germany. Yeah. And they would have to walk with sometimes no shoes. And, 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 and uh, you know, we want to blame the Japanese. But as I researched into it, you know, the Philippines and the Americans had brutalized the Japanese. Yeah. And so this is why it doesn't pay to brutalize the enemy, because they don't forget these things. No. And so his father was uh, very traumatized, went away, never to be heard from again, and and then the son finally found him. But my point in my speech was is that, you know, people that go off to war and suffer and die and whatever, that, you know, their children and grandchildren, uh, husbands, wives, you know, there's a lot of people at home that suffer yes. from war. Yes, yes. You know, Kenny, these sacrifices have been made by untold thousands of veterans who have fought for the freedoms that we do share as Americans. Have we forgotten what it takes to remain a free country in a culture where everyone's rights have become priority instead of our responsibility as American citizens? Well, there's no question. You know, somebody said that, that, that tough men make good times, good times make soft men, soft men make hard times. Wow. And I think we're in the soft men makes hard times portion of our history. Yeah. How, how should the church, you feel, could better engage today's culture and, and the threats of the freedoms when it comes to proclaiming the gospel? Because these are honest threats that we're seeing. Yeah. In, in my view, which may be unpopular, but I, I think that the church has to disengage from being – I think we should be flag-waving Americans. There's no question. But uh, America and the church are not one. They're yeah. two different things. Yes. Because America was mainly Christian, but America's not mainly Christian We're in now. a post-culture Christian now. There's no question. I mean, America is a post-Christian culture uh, where you can remember Christianity, but it, it, was, it was way back. I want you to reflect as we kind of close out and really maybe even dedicate some of our time together to a close friend of yours, David Watkins. He recently passed away. He sure did. David uh, Watkins was the creator of the Let Me Kill Your Weeds slogan. Um, we called him the evil genius. <laughs> and he said, place the emphasis on evil. 
but he was a guy that uh, he could see things that other people couldn't see. You, you know how creative you're a creative guy, and the creative people can see things that other people can't see, and then they can't see things that everybody else sees. <laughs> and I think that's the best way to describe uh, David Watkins. Now, David, for many years, I know he helped you with advertising. You told me that story. I was trying to remember the, the day when you were out doing a TV commercial, and he was trying to help coach you and produce it. That slogan wasn't part of the script. I think it just kind of happened organically while you were there trying to cut a TV commercial. It did. Uh, David uh, David came up with Let Me Kill Your Weeds. He was from South Mississippi. He grew up the son of a small-town uh, doctor in Quitman County. I guess Quitman, the city, the town of Quitman. In um, anyway, um, he wanted to say he wanted me to say, "Let me kill your weeds," but he knew that in Memphis we would say, "Let me, let me." <laughs> and so, uh, so we had uh, at the at the time everything was recorded on film, and we had the the film rolling. We had it left over, and so he had me say into the camera multiple times. Let me kill your weeds. Let me kill your weeds. Let me kill your weeds. Every which way you could imagine. So if you could picture David looking at me and having me, and and you know, in the if, if you haven't been on camera, which you have, they put the camera like right here in front of your face back in the day. Yeah. And so uh, David is his face is beside the camera, and I'm I'm into it, and and so we went through that until he found one that he liked. But he really was a genius. Uh, you know, our favorite thing to do is to go eat uh, fried chicken and turnip greens. Yeah. Hey, I love fried chicken and turnip greens, so maybe we can pick up that tradition there sometime. I love some good turnip greens. Well, Kenny, remind us what kind of services that Herbie Systems can provide listeners to keep those lawns looking really nice. We do weed control and fertilization. We also do tree and shrub care, which includes uh, fertilization and insect and disease control. You know, we've got a lot of bugs here in Memphis. And a new one's a crepe myrtle bark scale. If you haven't heard of it, it's, it's kind of come in over the last few years. And we do uh, irrigation repair and maintenance. And if somebody wants to call you, of course, you got the website. Give me the address and also a phone number to call. They can go to our website at herbicysystems.com, lemmekillyourweeds.com, 382-5296. We're on Covenant Pike. Awesome. Kenny Crenshaw, thank you, my dear friend, for stopping by and catching us up. This is a wonderful contribution of service. You, among others, that get to go each July and serve in this special way and beautify our nation's capital, Arlington Cemetery, and the mall area there, too. Thanks so much for the contribution. Thanks for telling us the story. Thanks for having me over. (laughs) Always a pleasure, Byron. It is. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.